I'm Jeff Cohen. Daphna Boyle is the writer behind From and Fashionable, a site where in its own words, modest meets modern. Daphna also has her own story to share about her journey to Jewish observance. So let's get started. Daphna, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of your time today. And we, of course, are going to get to From and Fashionable. But before we do that, let's start at the beginning of your story. So where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. And I'm actually a fourth generation native here. So my family has some pretty deep roots. Wow. How far back does that go? It would probably have been early 1900s. So I can think back to about my great-grandparents-ish time. And do you know anything historically about where they were from a religious perspective? So what's very interesting is that in Colorado, there's always been two very distinct communities. You have the east side and you have the west side. And there's a stigma with both of them that goes back so far. Usually the west side Jews were more poor than the east side Jews. But pretty much everyone here, all the Judaism originated on the west side. So my family kind of was there, but then decided as they became more affluent and settled in to move to the east side. Okay, so you mentioned this east versus west in terms of affluence. Was there also a difference in religious levels between the two sides? From what I heard from my grandparents and just other people around here is that the east side started to become a lot more diverse in terms of hashkafa. So it went from being, you know, very much on the west side. It was just Orthodox Jews, more so leaning towards the Litvish kind of side of things. But that was who was there. But as conservative and modern Orthodox and even reform and stuff developed, that was all moved on into the east side because of how shtetl-like the west side was and still can kind of be. Okay, so I have a guess of which of these two sides you lived in as a child, but I'll let you tell us whether you were east or west growing up. Well, I'm actually very curious about your thought. but (laughs) um, So east side is technically where I grew up along with my family, but I didn't grow up there in the sense that like we didn't live in that community. That was just where my family's synagogue was and like that was where we had our Jewish life. But otherwise we kind of live out in the boonies here in Colorado. There's like no Yiddish kite for at least 15, 20 minutes. Right. Okay. So the shul though that you were connected with, even though you didn't live right nearby. It was a conservative shul, orthodox shul. What kind of shul was it? Reform, actually. So is that how you would describe your child as you were raised as a reformed Jew? Like what were some of the things you were doing within the house that connected you to Judaism? Growing up, I would have called us, you know, maybe twice a year Jews. Right. (laughs) Um, Which two days? Well, 
preferably the ones that were in Yantif, but I was flexible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like we would always go for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and like we would do the Hanukkah thing. And that was a huge, huge deal. More minor holidays and stuff I knew nothing about. But I did, at least on a cultural level, have a lot to do with the community. I went to Jewish summer camp every year from the time I was eight, which, fun side note to that, my grandmother went to that camp, my mother went to that camp, my aunt went to that camp, which is where she met my uncle, (laughs) and he was the director of that camp at one point, so... That that camp, I can honestly say, was the foundation. What kind of kids went to that camp? Was it like a mix of reform conservatives? Did even some Orthodox kids go to that camp? It was reform as reform could get. We had some people who were probably more observant, less observant. Like for some people, this was all they got for their Yiddishkeit. And I think also in the reform movement in particular, and this is kind of a weighted and heavy topic, but reform has a lot of patrilineal Jews. So it it was interesting to kind of grow up in a world of like people saying and being like half Jewish or stuff like that. Got it. So you had the Jewish summer camp experience, but during the school year, were you in public school, but also doing like Hebrew school on top of that? or, Or did you not get to go? I did go to Hebrew school to back up. I did grow my up my entire life in public school. Mm-hmm. And particularly where I live, I was like one of maybe five Jews in the entire district. Wow. Yeah. So my parents advocated a lot for my Yiddishkeit that I was still getting included in that even out here. Um, which is another way they helped kind of reinforce our Yiddishkeit and our ideals and values. You had the public school experience, but then you also got to go to Hebrew school. So I'm wondering, did you enjoy going? Some people view it as a chore when they're reformed or conservative. Like, what was your perspective on going to Hebrew school? So I, at the beginning, loved Hebrew school. It was like so much fun when you're just learning all of these things and your class project is to make hamantashen like that's fun but then as I got older it started getting into more intense topics and I was at a place in my life where I don't know if I was actually ready to be receptive to everything that was being spoken about so it made it harder but I was motivated by the fact that if you finished what they call confirmation. You get to go on a trip to New York. And so that was my like shining beacon of, okay, I'm sticking this through. I want to go to New York. And like once you got to New York, then you were able to do a trip to Israel. So like I had those as motivating factors So even when I didn't necessarily love it, I always did have some connection with my Yiddishkeit. So you did end up going to New York and then to Israel when you were like 12 or 13 and both those trips happened? So I was 15 when I went to New York, 
which was actually super formative because that is how I became who I am today. Um, one of the things that they were doing with this confirmation program was they were trying to show you a little bit of a lot of religions. And so the final one was Yiddishkeit in New York. And of course, it wouldn't be Yiddishkeit in New York if you didn't go to Brooklyn and go to Borough Park. I remember seeing from women and men, really, for the first time in my life. Because even though I grew up in the Jewish community here in Denver, the Orthodox community is kind of tilted just enough away that like unless you're kind of in this right spot at the right time, you really wouldn't necessarily run into each other. So I remember coming home from that trip and being like, Mom, Dad, I need a new wardrobe. I am a Jewish woman. Jewish women are supposed to dress modestly. I'm doing this. And my mom's like, okay, here's $20. Go to Goodwill. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> so without that, I would never have even like started pursuing the thought of like sneeze and whatnot. You're in Brooklyn and you're seeing the way these folks are dressed and you're thinking, okay, this is meant to be part of Judaism and I want to dress that way as well. But is that like the only additional thing in your Judaism that you're taking on at that time? Or are you, are you starting to understand like other pieces that would go with dressing that way? At that very moment of like being 15 and just all of this going on, my mind really was one tracked to the fashion. Like I knew inevitably it would lead to more and more. You open one door, that opens another and soon you're down a rabbit hole of all the different things. You also said that it's like a combo trip of New York and Israel. So you mentioned the New York part and getting to Brooklyn, but when you were 15, was then there a second half where you went off to Israel for the first time? Yes. So the second half actually didn't happen until about two years later. There's a program here in Colorado called IST, or Israel Study Tour. And so what they do is... For everyone who's gone along with confirmation and all these, their different kind of shul obligations, I guess, or commitments, then you're eligible to go on this trip where they take you to Poland for four days. And then after that, we spent another five weeks in Israel traveling through the entire country. How'd you dress on that trip? Not necessarily in a way I'm proud to talk about, per se. Okay. <laughs> I was a very different person then. Mm -hmm. And being 17 and like, I, I definitely um, was humbled by my appearance on that trip and feeling like I live in a world of people who are modest and I am not. Right. Which was a very odd switch of things. But the people who are on the trip are predominantly not religious or exclusively not religious? predominantly more towards the reform side. Mm -hmm. But they did encourage us on this trip. Here's what Chavez is and like kind of try and give us little nudges to see what we could do. Okay, so it doesn't sound like on the actual trip, it wasn't like you started adopting some of the customs of being observant, but it was sort of like laying this foundation, I guess, that's going to come into your story later on from like what you felt from being in Israel. Yeah, it 
had that rekindling of my relationship with Hashem and it helped mend that relationship immensely to where when I went home, I felt enough to say, wow, I really would like to start learning more about these things. And this point specifically, you're what entering like your senior year of high school when you come back from Israel? Yep, I was entering my senior year of high school. Right, so I know that there was, from the high school years, it was your senior year that something tragic happens at your school. You mentioned when we were emailing back and forth. So is this the point in time when you talk about the craziness that happened in your senior year? And can you share that story? Yeah, so the world is a hard place. And what really is a shame is that I had to learn that early on. So the event you're talking about. I was in a school shooting here where I live. And so this school shooting took place on December 12th of 2013. Mm-hmm. And I had started getting back into certain things since I'd come back from Israel. So like I started to re-adopt certain aspects of Sinus and start looking into some things, even though I couldn't like delve in like I wanted to. Now, one of the things I bought in Israel was on Ben Yehuda Street, I found a keychain that had a tefillah sederich on it. And so I kept it on my car keys. Now, could I actually read what it said? Not by a long shot at that point. But I digress. I had it with me. There was one Friday, I was like, you know what, I want to go try and keep Shabbos. Like, high school, public high school, at least at that point, you could leave at any point of the day. Like, you were an adult, it was your responsibility to make sure you graduated. So I decided to leave early this one Friday. And it was in December, so I'm like, okay, based on what I do know about Shabbos, I have to get stuff done before sunset. Not that I really knew anything, but I came home, started looking stuff up, and I got a text message from a friend telling me to hide under my desk that there was a shooter in our school. And all the color drained from my face and it felt like this most the most outer body experience but because of how things work I actually had to go back to the school to be accounted for but it was also in that moment as I'm holding my car keys and seeing my tefillah sederich that I'm like okay Hashem what are you showing me what are you telling me like it was my come to Hashem moment. And I'm really glad I had that and chose to do that. Unfortunately, with that school shooting, two students were lost, one being the shooter and one being an innocent girl who was just trying to help and save people's lives. Did you feel like the fact that you had left early that day to experience Shabbos that that kind of like put you in a different place than where you might have been like do you spend time thinking well where would I have been in the school when this happened if I hadn't for whatever reason chosen on that day to keep Shabbos I do think about that a lot 
I know exactly the class I was supposed to be in. It's hard to explain the feeling of having fear and gratitude all at the same time. It it was hard because you weren't with everyone else who was having to be brought out by SWAT. So watching that, and I dealt for a year or two with this survivor's guilt. One very big, big part of my story that most people didn't know was that as I was driving out of the parking lot, I saw the guy who would end up being the shooter driving into the parking lot. I knew him, and so he waved at me as he was driving in, and I was going out, and he waved at me. It was a very weird thing to try and kind of hop, because while it ended up being one of the worst things my peers and I could have gone through, it humbled us. It brought us all together, but even to this day, eight years or so later, it, it's still something definitely on my mind and a mind of a lot of people. I know. Unfortunately, we all got our innocence stolen from us at a very young age, which I think is one of the reasons I went towards from kite and not just Yiddish kite, but from kite in particular. So did those two factors play together for you? Because you said you kind of came back from Israel turned on by the whole experience and wanting to explore it more, then you're having this tragic event when you're 17. So do they now play together for what like happens next in your story? Yeah. Because of that, I felt like I owed something to Hashem. Something big. What's big? My life. My, my life is big. I'm very much one of those people when I put my mind to something that it's going to be done might take time might have its own thing but it will be done so when my mind got to that place of I want to delve into orthodoxy it was the start of a whole new chapter in my life throughout your childhood there was some medical challenges you had also which we haven't discussed yet so I'm not sure what you feel comfortable with sharing but how that plays into the the whole journey through your childhood up to this point yeah so I was born with a condition called Turner syndrome. And Turner syndrome is a chromosomal abnormality where it only affects females and it only it affects 1 in 2500 live female births and only 1% survive. So my odds even at the get-go were dicey. I was really fortunate because in the years where I didn't really know what was going on, so say like when I was born to probably six, seven, I just knew I went to the doctors a lot. But I didn't really have anything so severe at that point that I felt as though I was much different than anybody else. But as I got older, as life evolved... Um, my health deteriorated. <laughs> Teachers would get really mad because I would miss a lot of school for both my health and then be like, oh, by the way, can I get like these eight days off and like these two days off? 
for like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and they would be like very hard on me so I had it coming at both angles Mm -hmm. and as I got older and as I started having my own relationship with life and the world and God and everything I became very resentful and bitter towards Hashem which was one of the reasons like me ending up back home after being in Israel and feeling that deep connection that was more like that was more growth soul searching and healing than any amount of therapy I could have ever done because I got back and everything truly started to feel like presently Hashem But growing up, because of all of the health issues, there was a very large amount of resentment, like the why me came out so many times. For me, I wasn't like born with a heart with the heart condition that a lot of girls with Turner syndrome are born with. But I was about 21 and I got diagnosed with a heart condition um, I'm 26 now, so five years. It's It's been a fun journey, but it's kind of things like that where little things would start coming into my life versus like started where I started out pretty good. As I got older, my body was just like, and we're going to add this to the list and we're going to add that. And... Now we're going to make you become an Orthodox Jew and find out that, like, you're going to Brooklyn and now you have to figure out your health and living by yourself in Brooklyn. So let's try to piece some of these elements together, because you referenced when you were in Israel this need to do, like, a lot of healing and having a better connection with Hashem. So now that I've heard more of your story, that's referencing getting over kind of the I don't know if the if anger is the right word or just that feeling of why why do I have Turner syndrome, right? Then you're going through this school shooting and people are left and right discovering religion in the aftermath of that. So now start connecting all this for me. You you're in your senior year, you're thinking more about religion at the same time you have the health concerns going on. So what where are you seeing your life headed after graduation with all this? I had no idea what I wanted to do after high school. I was not in a place at that point where I was ready to sign up for something, like commit at 18 for something that was a job supposedly for the rest of my life. So I just didn't have any postgraduate plan. What I did do is in my senior year, one of the things our school offered was you can do a trade program for some of your high school credit. So I actually got my esthetician's license while I was in my senior year of high school. So even though I didn't have any necessarily college plans, I at least had a trade in my back pocket. That way I knew I could at least do something while I tried to figure it out. Okay, so you, then you graduate high school and what happens after that? I graduated high school in May and... That same week was the first week I finally kept Shabbos. Like I pushed myself to go down to the East Side community and 
go to shul. Nobody like puts a little memo that like women really don't go to shul on Shabbos night. Nobody filled me in on that. So here I am like the only woman and I have no idea what was going on. I originally walked in on the men's side. It Mm -hmm. was a (laughs) great first experience. Totally, totally. And like, of course, being that it's a Chabad house, everyone's like, where are you from? Like, what's your story? Do we know your family? Wait, you grew <laughs> up here? Like, so the fall on Sunday, there's this kind of event the JCC here puts on. And so Chabad, as we do, we table. So they had their preschool table and the shul table and all of that. And so my mom actually had worked with one of the shluchim at the JCC for years. And so she, when she saw me and she's like, oh, my son said he saw you at Shul on Shabbos. She's like all of a sudden so excited. And she's like talking about seminary. Like, God love her. She's amazing. She saw an opening with you. (laughs) Yeah. But it was like. From from the moment I stepped in, it was like seminary, 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 seminary. Like and like all I've ever learned is what I have taught myself by reading books and online and using what vague knowledge I had from growing up. But as seminary was being pushed on me, I'm like, well, that is something to do after high school. Like now that that's over and I don't really have much committed going forward at the moment. And I was only just 18 and my parents were not super comfortable with the idea of me going to Israel where I'm living away from home for the first time. Right. So it narrowed it down to Brooklyn and one seminary in Brooklyn. And luckily they accepted me. And after Tishrei of... 2014, 57, 74, 75, I, right after that, moved to Crown Heights. Wow. So the program you went to, I'm guessing most of the people who are going there, if not all of them, were born and raised religious. Are you like a total outlier in the fact that you're coming from a public school background? So actually, that's what made the program I was doing very cool and very unique, is it's a specifically Balt Shuva design seminary. Okay. So everyone else who was there was kind of in the same boat in one way or another, whether it was they were, they'd finished converting and they were there to get more education or they became from on college campus we had a couple girls who were born and raised in the ffb world but machon leahadus when i went it was known as machon hana it just provided a good place for them so we had like two from from birth girls in addition to like our madrachot or madrachas, or however, <laughs> that's still eight years from, and I still throw myself between Sephardic and Ashkenazi <laughs> pronunciation every time. Um, but so I think what made me feel more of an outlier than anything was my age. I was the second youngest there. Like, right. But I would think at the same time, you're coming from Colorado, where you're in a public school where you said there was like four or five Jews 
total and now you're at least in a place like the age issue aside like everyone's at least at a similar point in their journey so i would imagine it feels like somewhat like homecoming for you to be with people that are like-minded and are trying to do the same kind of things as you yeah yeah you would think that (laughs) but Um, no i i don't know if i would say no it's just a very it's a different experience because i was so young and everyone else was you know in in their 20s like married and had kids already like that far advanced no more like more like they came from college so they were like 22 23 and i was 18 and i was a flaming bald chuba i did not take any of it lightly i questioned if my the cereal that my seminary was serving was pasiestrol <laughs> to a cautious rub like I, I was way too uh, full and ahead of myself on that. And so that also didn't help like me kind of integrate in with them. The fact that we had this common thread of we're all here. We're all here at this time. We're all going through all of this together. And like that was something very unique and very special and something that <laughs> it kind of brought me back to my summer camp days because, you know, that was the only other environment I'd been in where it was just kind of Jewish centric, where I didn't have to push back my Judaism, but where it just was who I was as much as like having brown hair is who I am. It was important to me that that felt like that. And it did. And I'd also always wanted to live in New York. And so I'd managed to find a way. It was, (laughs) (laughs) I was very determined. So how long was the program? And were you thinking that this was like a ticket to full observance? Like, was that a tangible goal for you that you wanted to, at the end of this, like feel comfortable knowing what you were doing, that you were like a full-fledged member of Orthodox Judaism? Yes. I don't know if I thought I'd walk away from this with like my own hexer stamped on me or something to like validate that I was an Orthodox Jew, but it was a two-year program, but I didn't exactly know what my end goal was, except that I wanted to be married mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really badly. Like, I think within a week of being there, I had already tried to talk to somebody about getting me into the Shadachim process. Right. It's just funny to say that, thinking back at it at the age I am now. I'm like, 18? I I had life. (laughs) I had life I needed to live. Right. And clearly Hashem agreed with me because both my mother and the Menachelis at the seminary kind of, I don't want to say ganged up against me, but they had their own plan to make sure I did not get married at 18. Your mom was right that it was too soon at 18. A Jewish mother knows best. (laughs) I mean, they just do. For some of the older girls, yes, like situationally. So I, the idea is they want to try and get people married, but they want to feel a confidence in who they are marrying off. Um, I'm one of actually still the few who isn't married from my class. There was this joke that apparently I didn't understand the Seder of how things work in the like 
Chabad Bal Tshuva Seminary world because apparently they're like, first, you're supposed to go to Mayanot in Israel, and that's where you determine that you want to be from and you like being from. And while you're there, you decide, okay, maybe I like this Chabad thing. Then you go to Machon Alta, which is in Svat, and that's where you decide, like, okay, I'm really liking this Hasidus thing, and, like, I think I want to live a Lubavitch life. And I think I did not know any of that going into it. So I just went straight for the deep end. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't get to do all those pre-steps. It's like you went to the last part of the journey first. I can imagine why you felt a little overwhelmed by the whole thing. For sure. But well, they were. everyone was really helpful with trying to get me up to speed. It was a journey that I had decided I wanted to go on. And I was going to do it no matter what. And also when you're in seminary, this is the time when From and Fashionable comes about? Is that where that piece of your life begins? Yeah. So my second year of seminary, I moved out of the dorm and I was renting a room in a family's house. So the oldest and the youngest were both girls and they loved having me around because they had three other brothers. So they went one night, came in to my room and wanted to know what I was working on and I had been like toying with this idea of wanting to have a blog or wanting to share my journey whether that be as being a baltuba or I I didn't exactly know what avenue it was going to take but I had come up with the name from Unfashionable a couple years prior and that kind of set the tone for it all and so the oldest daughter as we're sitting there on this on the bed and like discussing this she's sitting there and we're going over ideas and she's helping me create this blog like this concept and what it could be and so that night like (laughs) we played around with wordpress Mm-hmm. Like the different templates and things? Yeah, we're like, wh- which one screams fashion? Like, <laughs> we just need one that looks really good. And so, <laughs> and then it came to be. So how did it grow over time? Like, what, what kind of stories were you writing? Like, what kind of things were people commenting on as they were seeing the information you were putting out? It didn't really take off. And I would say... I, I use the word take off, but I don't really even think it's taken off, quite frankly. <laughs> but if I'm here and you guys found me, I must be doing something <laughs> right. You have one fan. <laughs> That's good. Yay. I'll take Well, my grandmother's like person number one fan. Super she fan. would like fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It started out more like, here's my goal. Here's my intention. Then it was like... Here's a day in the life of Crown Heights and like talking just about where I was going and writing what it's like to be almost run over by a stroller and like (laughs) having to watch out for kids on motorized scooters, like things I never had to worry about back home. So I really just started writing about my life and what I was seeing hearing, feeling. And then I had all these big dreams of wanting to, you know, 
make it truly, truly make it into a fashion blog because I loved SNES. Like I said earlier, it was one of the things that was the main grab of my attention and kind of the nudge towards researching Jewish modesty, which then turned into everything else. Something that really showed that SNES can be versatile and that I'm sorry to anyone who's listening who like may have gone to seminary with me or any of that, but we all had really bad fashion sense. There were maybe a <laughs> few people who had their SNES like honed in on right away. The rest of us, we were just rummaging through Hefker and buying what was ever at H&M and Zara because we knew that was where everyone else shopped. So might as well. But we looked like we were trying way too hard, particularly me, <laughs> particularly me. And so it had started with that intention, but kind of just snowballed into this thing of like talking about being an Orthodox Jew or talking about being a BT, talking about my health issues. And it almost became in some ways like an inspirational diary is kind of how I thought about it. Um, and there is a definite shift in it when I, and basically, I guess you could say announce that I was diagnosed with a terminal illness. This came while you were in seminary or after you had finished? Post-seminary. I actually got sick and had to leave some a bit early. Something connected to Turner's syndrome, you mean, or something like new that came about? So it was something new that came about, but then we learned did have connection to Turner's syndrome. Um, so I had mentioned the heart issues earlier. I was lucky enough not to have been born with them. But then when I was 21, I developed something called pulmonary arterial hypertension and congestive heart failure. I was like, Hashem, I thought we were in a better place than this. Like, whoa, I just dedicated the last two years of my life to like living, learning, breathing your Tyra and, you know, trying to change my life so I can be this God-fearing and God-serving and God-loving Jew. And now I have these illnesses it was something that I was having a really hard time wrapping my head around. Um, and so at the beginning of that section of, in my blog, you can kind of read the incredible amount of turmoil and kind of pain that I'm trying to deal with. I'm still dealing with that amongst a lot of he other health issues. I think the one thing that kept me going through all of this is like the knowledge that Hashem is in charge because had I gotten diagnosed with these things prior to becoming from, or when I had just started and was living in New York or anything like that, I would have jumped ship. But because I was in a good place with my Yiddish kite when I got diagnosed with these couple of things and I was in a stable place with it all, I was able to be like, okay, thank you, Hashem. I now see that, like, clearly I had to go through two years of seminary so I would be able to handle 
all of this you're throwing my way now. Um, because it happened, it came, I'd gotten sick in New York, but we didn't get answers as to what I was sick with for about a year. And then I like picked myself up, dusted myself off and was like, listen, this is how I'm going to get through it. I, Mm -hmm. I don't see getting through this without being from like, it's just not an option. So how do you view your relationship with Hashem today because I'm thinking back to the beginning of the interview where you had kind of all this like why me questions for Hashem about the early medical situations and you weren't even really like religious at that point you're just sort of like you're aware of Hashem and you're like upset for the situation that you're in but now you're viewing how you are today but trying to look through it from this observant lens where we're kind of taught that everything from Hashem is for the good and there's a reason for everything like what's your relationship Mm -hmm. today like with Hashem? Well, I constantly joke that he and I need couples therapy because (laughs) there are days it really does feel like that. I think just like any other relationship, there's good days and there's bad days. But my connection to Hashem is always there and is always present. And the fact that like wake up every morning Wash Nagelwasser, same Odeani, even if I am ticked off that I'm having to deal with a certain thing. Like, okay, so what? Me taking it out on Hashem is going to be the better option here. My relationship with Hashem is at a good place. There are moments, but I, I lean on him heavily through this and all that I have to go through. And so given everything that you've gone through and where you are with your medical situation, like what are you focused on now in terms of your Judaism and your continued growth? So ultimate goal, still to get married, still to get married. Then I'll put it this way. I I live in Colorado. I'm a girl of the wild West and I would love to figure out a way to combine Orthodox Judaism and like, cowboy culture Uh all at once so that that would be my dream um but we'll see what happens with that one and then i also am still working on the blog slowly but something will happen eventually i mean it has to and i have a book in the works which is also going very very slowly but with yiddishkeit more so i would just Love to continue to grow with my relationship with Hashem, growing and continuing on a journey upwards because life is like a ladder. You're either moving up or you're moving down. And so hopefully I'll be moving up. This is a beautiful one to close on. So let's go to the lightning round before we wrap the interview. You ready? Okay, I'm ready for this. Okay, so given your connection to fashion, what would you say is a simple fashion tip that any woman could follow if she wanted to look just a little bit more fashionable? Oh, honestly, the biggest fashion tip I could say is wear something that you feel good in. And I know that doesn't necessarily sound like a fashion tip, but people are all about having an image. And so the best image to have is one where you're happy 
and feel good about who you are and how you look because then what you're wearing doesn't matter and who you are shines through, which is what fashion's supposed to do. And we talked a lot about seminary and skirts. We didn't talk about being fashionable if you're a man. So can you give a, a tip for the other gender? Yeah. So men's styling has not been my biggest forte. I dress my nephews. Those are the men, men being one and a half and newborn. Um, <laughs> but those are the men I dress. So I would say for guys, same thing I just said applies, wearing things that they feel good in. But also... Nothing's wrong with a good fitting pair of pants, a good fitting shirt, like maybe finding fun keepers because women get wigs. What do guys really get? <laughs> <laughs> then you are officially out of the lightning round. So Daphne, I want to thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.